This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, we are talking about active working and office ergonomics. I'm honored to have the guest of today's episode. He has done his PhD in functional anatomy and biomechanics, master's in ergonomics, and bachelor degree in psychology. He describes himself as researcher, consultant, and teacher in human factors and ergonomics. Currently, he is working as a director of his company, Knowledge Sharing Events. He has also qualified recently as a fitness instructor and personal trainer. He has published over 80 official reports and 70 papers in peer-reviewed journals. He has also published 12 books and his newest book being A Guide to Active Working in the Modern Office. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Dr. Robert Bridger. Welcome, Robert. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure to have you here. So how do you see, how should we promote the active working? How, how can we get the things to be better? How should we promote it? Well, uh, of course, I think everyone should um, buy every member of their staff in their offices a copy of my book to take home with them. <laughs> Sorry, I'm only kidding. Um, now, I think that we need to um, we need to promote it by giving, uh, as I as I've tried to do in the book, by giving um, useful advice that's backed up by science, um, that has a proper rationale and is usable in everyday life, in everyday working life. And I think we have a real opportunity to do this now with um, more people working from home, as I'm, I'm sure they are in um, up in, up uh, in Norway and um, in other countries and Finland and elsewhere. But down in the UK, there are still lots of people working from home. And what what we found is that um, many businesses and large corporations are in no hurry to have all of their staff coming back to the office. Uh, why not? Because they found that actually you can trust people to work from home. Um, I think that that's, it's been quite an eye-opener for many um, managers. And I'm speaking as a, this as an ex-manager myself. I used to manage a department, a human factors department. So I, I know how managers think. They think if everyone's going to work from home, they're just going to spend all day drinking tea and not doing any work. If anything, <laughs> if anything, the opposite applies. When they come into the office, they spend all day drinking tea with their colleagues. When you leave them at home on their own, they get on with their work. Um, I'm being a bit facetious there, but anyway. So I think we have a great opportunity here to um, give people useful advice about working from home um, and being more active at work. And it's a great opportunity. Working from home is a great opportunity to be more active at work uh, during your working day. And I'll tell you why. I, and I don't know what the situation is in Scandinavia, but I do know that in, in the UK, the average daily commute is probably about 45 minutes to an hour each way. 
So people are not just spending probably six, seven, eight hours a day sitting in the office. They're spending a couple of hours a day sitting in their cars or sitting on trains. Um, so if they work from home, they're already ahead of the game because they've reduced their daily sitting time or they have the, the potential to reduce their daily sitting time if they, um, if they use that time wisely. And the mm -hmm. way to do that most wisely is to spread your work out over a longer period of time. And so to move away from these long periods of sitting for hours on end, just working at your computer, use that hour, that time where you're not sitting commute, commuting and spread that out through the day to do work in a standing posture and to do other things maybe throughout the day. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I actually read, I think it was a study done in the UK that that longer your commute is, less exercise you will do and lower quality of life you will have. So it really showed that you shouldn't have a long commute. You should try to live close to where you work. But I'm I'm always been surprised that in UK people are commuting long distances. Why why do you think is it is like that? I, I think there are a number of reasons why people commute. Partly it's it's partly historical. Um, another reason, of course, is property prices. If you have um, when you look at the um, where a lot of the um, economic activity is or the, the better paid jobs they're often in in big cities like london where property is expensive and a lot of people cannot afford to to live close to where they work in the uk and mm. that's one of the reasons yeah yeah and and actually in for working from home i think in finland they were doing doing already some studies on corporate wellness and they found that employees are are having a better well-being working from home so i think it will be really interesting are people actually going back to the office anymore in the same way because for employer if if your people are actually doing the work and they are uh, having a better well-being it will be interesting to see how it how it goes in the after after COVID, yes, I, I, I did some research on uh, mental well-being and office workers a few years ago, and uh, we found some interesting findings. One of them now, most of these office workers didn't have a long commute because this was outside London. Uh, most of them commuted for around twenty minutes, and it, they didn't. That didn't worry them at all. That wasn't worry. That wasn't a cause of stress or, or, or dissatisfaction or anxiety. Um, in fact, many of them seem to think that that 20 minutes was um, um, that short commute of about 20 minutes was was quite positive because that was a time when they could when they were on their own and they were free to uh, they had private time and there was no one to talk to them and you know they had some time on their own and they could think their own thoughts and let their minds wander. But one of the things we did find that was very strongly associated with um, a poor mental well-being, with depression and anxiety, was a lack of work-life balance. So I think if working from home can improve work-life balance, then it's certainly that's another advantage, a mental a mental benefit, um, good for your, their mental well-being as well as their physical well-being. Although one does have to be careful with that as well, because 
um, that's okay. But for some people, and I, I'm thinking now, for example, of a young person living in a one-bedroomed flat in a part of a town that's not very pleasant or interesting. Uh, working from home could be a bit of a nightmare. And that individual could become socially isolated. So I think that, um, as with most of these issues, each, each thing has to be thought about um, and weighed up, uh, considered on its merits. And it has to be, um, solutions have to be based on scientific evidence and they also have to be based on um, individual circumstances as well. Mm, yeah. And and how, how do you see the role of measurements and activity trackers when we are promoting active working? I think they're potentially very useful and um, and I'll explain why. And that is that um, it's very difficult to modify your own behavior if you're not aware of it. And most of the time, you know, people don't go to work in an office to be active or to sit properly or anything like that. They go to work to do a job to earn money. So uh, the kinds of activities and um, physical activity monitoring, for example, potentially very interesting and use, a useful tool to give people feedback so that when they do try to change their behavior, they get feedback about the, the effects or the benefits of the changes that they're made, that have been made, and they're therefore able to modify their behavior accordingly. Um, it's a similar, so in other words, I would see it from the, point, the health point of view as being um, as important as having um, maybe a set of weighing scales in your bedroom, in your bathroom. So you can you can weigh yourself. Mm, yeah, I, I I agree, and and you said about standing desks that there's some misconceptions. Do you see any other misconceptions or common mistakes about active active working? I think so. Yes, I think there are a few points to make. One of them is that um, active working doesn't. If you're an employer, a large corporation, if you're a facilities manager and you want to encourage active working amongst your employees, you don't need to um, invest in um, sit-stand desks because that's just one possible solution. And I can tell you, it's interesting, historically, in the 1980s, um, <clears throat> Dr. A.C. Mandel um, um, came up with an alternative for um, office desks based on a very high desk with a forward-sloping seat. And... I think one of the reasons it didn't catch on as, as, as well as it deserved to have, ca to have caught on uh, was because um, employers would have had to invest in a, a new desks as well as new chairs rather than just buying ergonomic chairs. So sit-stand desks or standing desks are not the only way of um, promoting active office work um, and probably not the best way for some kinds of workers. I mean, I've seen research, which I've quoted in my book, on things like, um, you know, pedal desks, where you have those little pedals underneath the desk, and you can cycle away while you're sitting, working at your computer. There are things I've seen called um, foot fidget devices, which is a sort of an elasticated footrest you can put onto your desk, and you can bounce your feet up and down on it all day long. <laughs> um so yeah, there are there are alternatives, and also look at the way offices are run. Um, I think one um, um, 
a, a good idea. It'd be to encourage people to make more use of the stairs. Um, in physiological terms, uh, walking up the stairs is about three or four mets, which is um, um, compared to um, standing working at a computer is um, far more physically active. Um, probably a better bet for most people, just give up using the lifts and you'll immediately get benefits of active, from being more active at work. So um, where are people going wrong, I think, is well, one way you, where you can go wrong is to um, assume or to equate um, active office work with standing desks. Standing desks are just one way of um, helping people to be more active. Mm. And, and you have done a long career in, in office ergonomics. You have done a lot of, lot of research. Could you tell about the most interesting studies, studies you have done? The most interesting studies that I've done um, in office ergonomics. <clears throat> I think um, probably one of the most interesting studies that I've done, which surprised me, it wasn't done by me, it was done by my PhD student, Rosemary Foster. And this was the study where we looked in the 1990s at um, people doing mentally demanding work while standing at the computer. Because um, we weren't expecting the result that we got. And as I mentioned, the result was that when people do mentally demanding work standing at a computer, they stand as still as they can possibly stand without realizing it and become very uncomfortable. Um, so we were a bit surprised by the results. Um, but at the time, we didn't understand its significance because only a very few people were standing to work at computers in those days. You know, there were hotel receptionists and you know other people like that. Um, so it was quite a pleasing piece of research um, to have been done. And I'm very, I'm very pleased that we did it because it's very relevant to the problems of today. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It's a, it's an interesting finding. I think very very interesting things you have brought up about the book if if listeners are interested getting the book where they can find the book well um one place of course is to go to the crc press website if you just go to crc press on google google that in and you'll get to there and then uh, just type in a guide to active working in the modern office homo sedens in the 21st century that's one way of getting it even easier is just uh, go on to Amazon and type in um, a guide to active working in the modern office or just my name, R.S. Bridger, um, and you can get it there. Um, and for further information about me and what I do, um, you can always visit my website, which is just www.rsbridger.com. Um, and then you can find details for all my books and publications there. And if there are any um, papers that you want to read um, you can just contact me through the website and and obtain them um, in terms of um, any other research and this would suit um, academics and researchers um, if you want to access any of my old papers on sitting and standing at work um, have a look at uh, my page on ResearchGate um, and there's a lot of resources on there too Mm, yeah, thanks. Thanks for those resources. I also saw from your webpage that you have written quite many other 
books. Would you like to tell a little bit about your your other books? Yes. Um, well, my main other book that I've written um, is um, my textbook, and that is a book called um, Introduction to Human Factors and Ergonomics. Um, that's published by CRC Press, and that's now in its fourth edition. I wrote the first edition in 1995, and the fourth edition came out a couple of years ago. And that's mainly used as a, a textbook by universities who want to, uh, who have courses in human factors and ergonomics, or who have a course in something else and want to put on a, um, um, some modules in human factors and ergonomics. Uh, that book is also available from the publisher or from Amazon um, or any of the internet booksellers. But that book comes with an instructor's manual that um, is for. Um, lecturers and um, and um, professors to help them prepare lectures and tutorials and demonstrations. There's it's also got an ans answers to all of the all of the questions in the book because the the textbook's got questions at the end of every chapter. There's also um, a guide to, to 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 pardon me a guide to tutorial tutorials and seminars um, in the book, which is basically to help uh, lecturers um, come up with discussion topics for seminars with their students. And there is also um, a package of 500 PowerPoint slides on human factors and ergonomics, which can be used to support as a basis for, for lectures. And for academics, universities that take the book as a course text, all the artwork is um, available electronically from the publisher. Mm. Uh, that yeah, book sells um, sells all over sells all over the world. It's in in it's in English and in Chinese. Yeah, got any Chinese yeah. listeners. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And you, you said that it has like five hundred PowerPoint slides that you can use. Yeah, but yeah, you have to be right. an academic and adopt it as a as a course text because the the publishers don't give you something for nothing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I can see that, and and maybe related to that you have been an academic researcher, and you have moved more to consultant teacher work and and writing books. How do you how do you feel the process of of writing books as an as an academic person? Well, I have a I, I have a, a view on that in that um, people don't write books; books write them. In other words, the book already has to be inside you, so to speak. And so when you write it, it's just coming out. It might sound a bit strange, but that's the way, that's the way I experience it. Mm. Um, so when I first think about the book, it's like you can see it in the distance through a telescope you know, that's around the wrong way. And you can see it, and it's there. It's complete. It's just not very clear. So you have to just sit down and start writing. And as you start writing, you just walking. It's like mentally walking closer and closer to it until it's done. And that's it. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I like the idea and I, I think I understand what you mean. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. 
Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers. And what, what would be your tips for academics who are thinking of, of writing a, maybe a little bit more popular book than an than a academic book? Think of the title. So that's the only, that's only tip you, you give. Think about the title. Yeah. Once, you, once you've got the title, you'll have the book. If it's there, you'll have it and you'll just write it. Mm, yeah. I, I like it. Oh, I do have one other tip for academics who want to write popular books. <clears throat> Always distinguish between writing a book and publishing a book. They're not the same. I have never written a book in order to publish it. I've written the book to write it. And then I've been fortunate mm -hmm. in that it's been published. But if people come to me and say, I want to publish a book on that, and I, think to, and I would say to them, well, have you written it? No. Okay. Well, go and write the book. So, so do, do, is, is your advice that you should really write it before, even before when you contact the publisher, that you have it ready and then you would approach the publisher? Well, when I wrote the first edition of my textbook, I wrote the whole book. And then I sent it to the publisher and they were amazed because most people don't do that. But um, I think it, it is worthwhile to talk to a publisher. Uh, academic publisher um, first about your ideas um, because they will um, well they'll soon tell you whether they're interested or not mm, yeah no I, I I like your like your ideas and I think they're a little bit different than many people would say maybe others would say that you go first to the publisher and kind of negotiate what kind of book they would need uh, so i i like like kind of fresh ideas from from your side and you you have the experience you have written more than 10 books well uh, it's always good to talk to a publisher it just my 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 only view is 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 when do you want to talk to the publisher i think i think it is useful i mean it certainly but i just have this view that if you really want to write a book just go ahead and write it because you want to write the book. Um, and that's one, I suppose, one advantage of my approach is that if you just write it yourself, you are absolutely free to mm. write it in exactly the way you want to. Whereas if you get engaged with a publisher very early on they, they, and the publisher is interested, the publisher will send your ideas out to potential users and they will come back with comments and immediately you are no longer free. Mm, yeah, I, I see your point. And and you, you describe on your website yourself as a researcher, consultant, and teacher in human factors and ergonomics. What what are you you most at at the time and how do you how do you share your time and if people want to collaborate with you in some form, what kind of collaborations you are interested in? Well, I'm open to all ideas. I'm, I'm open to um, doing uh, you know, part-time lecturing or teaching. I'm open to um, 
consultancy. I'm doing some consultancy consultancy work at the moment, but that's in a, in a different area. Uh, one of my main areas of consulting is in um, human factors and safety, which is helping organizations to investigate um, safety occurrences, particularly accidents. And I'm working in healthcare at the moment um, on um, um, incidences where uh, things have gone wrong in the treatment of patients, put it that way. And I'm part of an official, official investigation. Um, and my job is to provide the, um, the safety investigators with um, human factors support and guidance. Um, so I'm very much open to that kind of work in terms of consultancy. I'm also open to consulting and office ergonomics. Um, very, very um, open to doing um, um, short talks and seminars for companies on active office work. Uh, we did one a while back um, in London before <laughs> before the um, the lockdown. So there isn't much um, public speaking going on at the moment. I don't think anywhere. I think. Many of us who are involved in um, putting on events have uh, found ourselves, um, well, excuse the pun, but our business has been overtaken by events in the form of COVID-19. Um, but I, I am, I'd be interested to talk to some universities as well about how, how well I could support them with any of their coursework or um, training courses or research that they want to do. Uh, if they need assistance writing uh, grant applications, that sort of thing, I can do that. Um, another area where I've been talking to a company is in the area of research ethics, because when I worked for the Navy, I was uh, a member of the Royal Navy Scientific Advisory Committee, which did scientific and ethical scrutiny of research protocols. And this was in all areas from biomechanics right through to, to psychology. Um, and I'm, I'm on standby to help a company that's going to submit a protocol to a um, an ethics committee um, in the defence domain in the UK, and my job is to be their <laughs> is, is to be their ethics friend. In other words, to help them to negotiate the research ethics and the protocol scrutiny process that they're going to have to go through. And basically, to hold their hand and help them through it. Because I've yeah. written I've written very many research protocols myself. I've been through that process. I've also acted as a, and it's adversarial review process as well, of over 500 protocols um, I've submitted to um, for ethical scrutiny. So I, I know that game quite well. And um, so basically I have quite a varied portfolio in consulting, teaching, um, and uh, research. I'm not undertaking any research at the moment, but I'd be very interested in doing so if it's something that, that, that if, if anyway, they thought that I could be helpful and, and mm. provide provide support. Also helpful, available to assist with um, writing writing papers um, or um, grant applications, particularly if, um, if 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 you need um, an English speaker to help. Mm. Yeah, so a lot of different collaboration possibilities. So it has yeah, been really interesting discussions i think it was very good points and kind of fresh ideas from the studies of from the 80s but anyway fresh ideas from an old man yeah 
<laughs> yeah, fresh fresh ideas based on eighties <laughs> studies done in eighties. But um, what what would be your final remarks for this very interesting episode? My final remarks for the um, I think I think my final remarks would be that um, when we're looking at active office work, my final remarks would be. Um, the age of hypersedentary office work is dead and we need to move on and being active when we're working um when we're doing off and act i'll start again the age of hypersedentary office work is a relic of the 20th century and it's time to move on and active office work is the way forward I, I like it. It's very good. So so thank you. Thank you for this episode. What 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 are the plans for the rest of the day for you? Well, um, I'm going to um, uh, be true to form. I've got to practice what I preach. So I'm going to have a cup of tea and then I'm going to cycle down to the tennis club and have uh, 45 minutes in the gym working out. And then when I get home, I might have a beer. <laughs> sounds good sounds how how it should be it it was a pleasure so thank you robert for taking the time thanks only pleasure talking to you thanks everyone thanks for listening and feel free to contact me through my website if you wish to do so thanks a lot bye-bye thanks for joining us this week on physical activity research podcast if you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day